Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast where we try to find solace in a world where our brains are usually against us. My name is Aaron Gillis, and each week I'll be joined by... Me, Lauren Patterson. Each week we chat to a different guest about how they try and live their life without misery. But we try and do it with a little bit of laughter, because otherwise that sounds like a pretty gloomy idea for a podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Dave, the TV channel, and Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Morning! Welcome back to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast that raises money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Calm are a charity who are leading the movement against suicide in the UK, and by talking we aim to let each other know that we can get through this, that even though things might be shit right now, we can help each other out, we can talk and we can be there for one another. And that's what this podcast is all about. This week's guest is Paul Sinha. Paul is a comedian and professional quizzer, known as the Cineman on the Chase, and he came in a very respectable last in the eighth series of Taskmaster. Uh, today I talked to Paul about addiction, loneliness and recovery. Uh, in this week's episode, it's just me doing the interviewing this week, unfortunately. Uh, there were some timing issues, which meant Lauren couldn't make it to the record, and as a result, this episode is a touch more serious than the others. Uh, well, I mean, they're all serious, really, but um, Lauren's the funny and talented one, so she brings the, the uh, what's the word? levity to the situation she's just very funny and i'm just a bellend so yeah that happened but don't worry lauren fans uh, she's back next week and for every other conceivable episode ever i miss you lauren please come back uh anyway here is my interview with paul sinha 
today's guest is Paul Sinha. Welcome. Hello, nice to be here. <laughs> uh, the first question we always start with is, when was the last time you felt calm? Not that long ago. Ooh. Um, last night. I think that might be one of the first ones that's been within the, the last 24 hours that we've ever had. Last night I was in my comfort zone. Um, I play in something called the Quiz League of London, and it's hand-to-hand quiz combat in pub rooms across London. And our team were playing a game yesterday, and you get eight individual questions. And it's considered particularly noteworthy if you get all eight out of eight, because it doesn't happen very often. It happens maybe in your entire quiz career, it might happen three or four times. And it happened last night to me, uh, my last question when I realised I knew the answer to it, I just felt incredibly calm. Yeah. I thought, this isn't going to be a guess. This is going to be impressive that I've got eight out of eight. <laughs> and with friends and with colleagues and with rivals, and they're going to be really impressed that I just got eight questions right out of eight. And I felt utterly calm because I knew I was in my place. Yeah. I knew I was in a place where I belonged, where I was with people with whom I belonged. just felt great. Is that something that you kind of found within the kind of... I mean, you're famous for that kind of quizzing career. Yeah. Do you find that kind of sense of calm quite a lot often in that side of your career? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, but which, I mean, quizzing can be quite stressful. Mm. The battle with you and your brain trying to get answers, the times that you make stupid errors, um, and the times when you don't do as well as you thought you'd going to do. Mm. But yesterday, it was just really nice when I had seven out of seven, and I thought, I know I'm going to get a full house if we get the next question right. The realisation that I knew the answer, I just felt an enormous sense of calm. Yeah. In your kind of day-to-day outside of the quizzing world, how do you bring any sense of calm or relaxation into that at all? Or is I don't. That, you know. <laughs> um, as we were early on in the interview, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in June. Um, my stress levels had gone up, but yeah. not because of the Parkinson's disease, funnily enough, uh, but because of the medication that I'm on uh, and the fact that it has played a lot with my uh, with my mood and with my sleep. Yeah. I don't sleep well. And increasingly, I find that sleep is one of the single most important factors in trying to become a more calm and happier person. Yeah. Is you've got to uh, fetishise the idea of getting sleep. Because I'm a much, much more functional human being when I've got sleep. Yes. Uh, and so today, having had it eight hours right through, I feel so much better. It's, it seems like a treat sometimes, because one of the side effects of my antidepressants is, like, it disrupts your sleep patterns as yeah. well. So it's very rare to get that eight hours. And it, it just, just you do feel like it's a, almost a privilege the day you can actually function on yeah. eight hours sleep. It's... I mean, my spirits are good. <laughs> uh, since the Parkinson's, everything's sort of cleared up in my head. Yeah. What I realise now is I don't know what's going to happen to me for the rest of my life. Let's go out there and enjoy it and and do things because you want to do them. Yeah. So my overall mood has been excellent. What has happened with the medication or possibly the disease process, I have no idea, is that whenever things go slightly wrong, I'm throwing tantrums in a way that I just never used to do. Yes, indeed. And so I wouldn't say that my default setting was calm. Mm. Uh, in the, in that it can just go wrong very, very quickly. However, it's just good to know what's going on because then you can try and control things. Yes. Uh, if you, if self-awareness is really, really important. You can't fix or try and fix yourself unless you know what's going on. Completely agree. And so the fact that I'm aware and accept that I'm more emotionally fragile than I used to be and that I'm more prone to tension than I used to be is part of the process in stopping it from happening. Mm. So did you do a lot of research when you first got diagnosed? Not a lot. No. There's something, there's just something quite bleak, mm. especially with a progressive disease. Indeed. I, I just didn't want to read stories of how so-and-so got worse and worse, or this, that and the other. I would rather focus on the present 
um, rather than the future. And so I didn't do a lot of research. Now, if I'd done a bit of research, I might have realised I had Parkinson's disease <laughs> before it was actually diagnosed. Um, because I, despite the fact that I'm a former doctor, I dismissed neurology. I, I, I had a right frozen shoulder f- since September 2017. And I simply dismissed neurology as being a possibility because mm. it was all down one side. Yeah, And I thought it was a neurological disease. It would be down both. And it turns out that that's the absolute opposite of the truth. And actually, one-sided presentation is quite diagnostic mm. that something may be seriously wrong. So, in that sense, perhaps I should have done a bit more research. <laughs> but I don't want to spend my life with my head um, reading about bad stuff. No, of course. I think um, that idea of kind of just living in the present and celebrating yeah. the moment is... yeah. It's a lesson from all of us, I think. A lot of us to take all that for the granted. The present and the near future. Yeah. The first person um, since the diagnosis that I met... Um, who has Parkinson's was a Sky Sports a sports anchor called Dave Clark. He mm. presents the darts on Sky Sports. And he said, put things in your diary that excite you. And I think that's also a very, very good idea. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'm, you know, in terms of that, I'm getting married on December 14th. So I have Congratulations. This, thank you. So I have this big thing in the diary. And so it's just great when you're feeling, when you're feeling uh, that you might be a bit tetchy or irritable, just get onto that. Excel list of wedding wedding invitees, yeah, and just send out a few more messages saying just checking you are coming, and you just it just you just feel better. Yeah, um, I bizarrely my favorite my favorite band is the Pet Shop Boys. They're, they're my all time favorite music act, and they're playing a tour of greatest hits on my fiftieth birthday. Amazing uh, in London, mm. the O2. They're, they're, they're gigging. When I find that out, I just went online and went, well, buying 10 tickets. If I, if I can't find nine friends to come with me, it doesn't matter. No, indeed. I'll, I'll eventually find nine friends. Uh, and I thought, I'll just buy up the tickets and have something in the diary to look forward to and excite you. Yeah. I think it's really important to, uh, you know, very much live in the present, but also the near future. Yeah. Do you do that with your comedy as well? Because your tour starts um, the end of this week. Yeah. Is that something that excites you or is that now kind of... A... Increasingly, yeah. it's something that obsesses me. It's something, <laughs> and again, that's something that I've noticed is that the whole dynamic of writing a tour show has been different this year yeah. because I didn't do Edinburgh. So mm. I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. I had to withdraw from the Edinburgh Festival. Edinburgh is where you prepare the show. So I've been doing it on the hoof for the last two months. Right. Uh, not doing official previews, but doing sort of long headline spots at clubs whose promoters are very kindly giving the stage time and it's been really exciting mm. to go through the creative process and to put together something to the point where sometimes I'm waking up at six in the morning going right got to start writing <laughs> the whole sleep pattern thing and so exciting doesn't even begin to cover it obsessed <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of all I'm thinking about at the moment is making sure that I've got as good a tour show as possible amazing the next question we usually ask is uh, when was the first time you became aware of mental health being a thing, be it positive or negative. But I assume seeing as you started work as a doctor, you know it would be... what? Um, I've, I've never, ever, ever considered myself a mainstream human being. Yes. Uh, I like that. That's nice. Uh, That's... I think mainstream is the, the politest way. Mm. I was a quiet, nerdy kid with an obsession with maths, chess. I was a junior chess champion. General knowledge, obsessed with quizzes from a young age. Mm-hmm. At the age of 16, I wrote a review of every song in the charts that was released in 1986. Have you still got those? No. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, and of course, I was growing up gay and not realize, not understanding any of that. Yeah. Because I had quite a sort of pampered, sheltered upbringing. Mm. 
And so I didn't know what was going on. So I've never considered myself free of mental health issues. Mm. There's always been anxieties. And then when I went to medical school, all those anxieties are exacerbated by the social need to get drunk with your friends as many times as humanly possible. Yes. I went to medical school in South London. The drinking culture was fierce and relentless. I've heard that it's better, like the in medical school, it's another level of drinking culture compared to any other. I'm, I, I don't know. I've got nothing <laughs> to compare it to. But what I do know is that within a, a confined space, you are accepted if you drink. Yes. It's a lot easier to get social acceptance if you drink. It's as simple as that. Yeah. If, there, yes, we have people that didn't drink. They just weren't as popular as people <laughs> that did. And, and so you do it for social acceptance. Mm-hmm. You do it because when you're drunk... You're trying to become, the way I put it is, you drink to try and become the human being that you really, really want to be in reality, but yeah. don't have the courage to do so Agreed. Uh, under normal circumstances. But, and this is the great thing about drinking, no one does it scientifically. <laughs> uh, no, there, there isn't anybody who looks at their drinking patterns and tries to think, this is the optimal way that I will have a good night. Yes. You drink when the alcohol is there. At various points, you drink faster because you just think, oh, I better play catch-up. There's no rhyme or reason to how any of us really drink. And so sometimes it's just disastrous. Mm-hmm. And I started drinking when I was 18, I'd say until about 2010. So that's 20, I think that's, is that 22 years? I think that's 22 yeah. years. I was a frequently disastrous drinker. And um, by disastrous, I mean getting upset with people, getting upset with friends, lashing out at people. I've been thrown out of my own birthday party twice. Bloody That's, hell. you know, quite the thing. Mm-hmm. And it represented a sort of deep underlying unhappiness yeah. that all of my friends were attached apart from me. That's what's changed. Mm. My current boyfriend says I'm a very happy drinker. Mm. And to hear those words just makes me really happy because I was a deeply unhappy drinker for a long time in my life. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the thing is it brings out the underlying unhappiness. Yes, every time. And if you're deep frustration, it's not even just about the fact that all your friends are attached. It's also about the fact that all the ones you fancy are attached. Yeah. Or unavailable mm-hmm. or, un, you know, totally out of bounds, which you don't give a shit about when you're um, sober. Mm. And then when you're drunk, it seems like the greatest injustice. It's the all-encompassing uh, kind of feeling, isn't yeah, it? It's all it's you can think about. the greatest injustice in the world. Yeah. And so I've slowly morphed from a deeply unhappy person to a very happy person Amazing. I, I, I wouldn't say clinically depressed no just deeply frustrated with my life and the way it was lived and so when you talk about mental health issues I mean there are so many things that come under the umbrella of mental health and what I don't talk about very often is that from the age of about 23 to the age of about 38 I spent virtually every penny I had at Ladbrokes William Hill Coral why an intelligent man would do that um because that intelligent man was bored and wanted to try and put his intelligence into other areas and see what he could do with it. Uh, I think a lot of people with gambling problems have above-level IQ uh, because they think deludedly they can beat the system without realising, of course, that the system has been designed to defeat them. And you can only defeat the system, really, if you've had a tip. If If you know a horse race owner that says, my horse is actually great, and I'm not in that world. So I just poured money and poured money and poured money. And so I spent my 20s and 30s being a relentlessly unhappy binge drinker, a deeply... A deeply lonely is not quite the right way, because I've always had lots of friends. Yeah. Fundamentally a lonely person underneath it all, because not only was I not in a relationship, 
I never even got close. Yeah. I never got to date three. And also compulsive gambler. Also add to that that I was a general practitioner, a career that was never really designed for my skill set, but one that I found myself sort of not forced into, but falling into out, yeah. of, uh, out of apathy and lack of other options. Right, okay. As much as anything else. I'm from a medical background. It just seemed like the logical thing to do. You've got a whole cocktail of things going on in my life that although never gave me what I would call a diagnosed mental health condition, meant that mental health was always at the forefront of my thinking. Yes, indeed. It was, it was always trying to go, how can I get myself out of this fug? Yeah. It's, 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 it's cons- constantly there. Indeed. It's, it's a displacement theory, isn't it? It's if you're doing the betting or you're doing the drinking, you're not thinking yeah. about like how lonely you feel. It yeah. doesn't matter how many people are around you and how many friends love you and how many family members love you. If you feel that sense of loneliness, it's so hard to, yeah. to sit with it and f- try and figure it out. It's so much easier to have a few beers or, or do the betting. What was the kind of turning point then? Because you said that you were betting until you were kind of mid-30s. I think the internet's the turning point. Right. Um, I was bored. Mm. At two in the afternoon, if I had nothing to do, I just walked down to the bookmakers yeah. and put some bets on, out of sheer boredom. There's no excuse for boredom now. No, that's true. And this is the thing that I keep saying to people, is the internet is an encyclopedia of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's there for you. It's the most remarkable resource that the human race has ever come up with. And it doesn't matter what your interest is, or you can find your interest online. Yeah. I was a, you know, a junior chess player of, of, of a decent standard. I got, with the quizzing that's going on in my life, I've got no desire to necessarily go back to that. But should I have that desire, you just go on the internet and you just find out what, what to do. Yeah. If your thing in life is that elderly men eat candy floss in front of you whilst walking their dog, you'll find a website for the fetish for elderly men eating candy floss while walking their dog. <laughs> it's, 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 it's all there. Yeah. And I know it sounds smug because I've always been somebody with a massive support system behind me, but I feel increasingly that if they want to get better with their mental health, the responsibility has to be with them as well as other people. Completely, Natalie. Uh, you've got to have because there are resource. There've never been more resources out there, and this is something that I recognise as a G, a former GP with an interest in mental health, as a comedian with who has lots of friends with mental health issues, as a professional quizzer who has lots of friends with mental health issues, and we talk, and it becomes increasingly apparent that some people are very good at listening to advice and acting on advice and other people would rather stick with their mindset and how they do things. Completely. And one of the things I'm obsessed with in life is you can't assume that your mindset is the correct one. Life changes, the world changes, everything changes. I never thought I was going to get married. It didn't even occur to me that one day I'd get married. But my parents are getting on, I've got an autistic nephew uh, and a neurotypical niece and I would like to introduce an official uncle into their life. Yeah, amazing. And the reason I didn't want to get married is I didn't think that the strength of our relationship would necessarily change mm-hmm. just because we were we were married. But I just think they're making things official quite nice. It's just yeah. And you know, I talk about this in my touring show about the fact that this epiphany happened for no other reason than I was drunk on Prosecco at Christmas Day. And I was just looking at Ollie, my now fiance, and just going, yeah, come on, let's give it a go. <laughs> but literally the day before, if you'd said, would you like to marry Ollie? I'd go, we don't need to get married. And it's important to have the, the mental flexibility to change your mindset. Completely. Um, and not assume 
that your template for how you get on with life is necessarily the correct template. Indeed. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Because you mentioned that you talk about that in your comedy show. Yeah. Do you bring in other aspects of your life? Like, you've had all this news this year. Do you bring that oh, into yeah, the, the show? Oh, yeah, of course. Because my show was meant to be called, well, it is called, A Hazy Little Thing Called Love. And it's about how a man who was never going to get married has decided to change all that and get married. Mm -hmm. Then all this happened. And suddenly that idea of love has taken on all sorts of other meanings. Yeah. There's the love that your family have for you, that your friends have for you, for the people that you didn't know love you, but they've all come in to support you. Love is, 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 a, is a very varied thing. And the one thing at this point that I'm really, really grateful about in the way that I've lived my life is I've lived my life relentlessly picking up friends mm. and keeping in touch with friends. And suddenly that's really, you know, a really useful thing. Yeah, I've got to fill a wedding with friends. <laughs> And we've got 295 people coming oh, to the wedding. <laughs> um, and I've, I, ne I need a support network for, yeah. for, the, for the next few years. So, of course, I've realised that not everybody has that outgoing personality type to do that. Yeah. So, as I said, it's really important for me not to get smug and go, hey, everyone, pick up friends all through your life. But what I will say is that there's never been a better time to try and pick up friends. Mm -hmm. Facebook, for instance, such a stressful, uh, maligned um, thing in so many ways can be really useful. Mm. It can be really... I mean, if you pick up... I'll give you a little chain of events. I used to play Online Countdown, you know, the Channel 4 oh, yeah. show. And so when... I, and every so often people would find me on, on uh, Facebook and, and ask for a friend request. And if I thought they look all right, I'd just add them, no mm. harm done. And then a, a guy called Chris and his mate Sam, who I hadn't met, 
came to see me do a gig in Liverpool, and I knew him from Online Countdown. Uh, and we became friends. He became friends with Ollie when I started going out with Ollie, and we'd, we'd occasionally go out drinking together. And then in June last year, uh, Ollie had a court case for speeding in Birkenhead, <laughs> and he needed somewhere to stay the night before. And then my mate Chris, who I didn't know in real life mm. until he added me on Facebook and came to Gingleville, his family put Ollie up the night before. Oh. Make connections and you've got more chance that people come in and support you and help you when you need their help. Yeah. Well, that's not the reason to make connections. No, no, it's just a beautiful but, kind of side effect but, of it. But I do think that Facebook is something that people can be more knowing yeah. about how to use. It, I completely agree. I think it's the education, and it's just knowing what's good for your mental health, because there's a whole thing that, that social media is bad for us and all that sort of thing. But Well, addiction of any description is bad. Yes. Um, uh, but if you create curate it to what is best for you, yeah. I just have my friends and my family on there, yeah. and they are all like just posting really lovely pictures of their family. or and sure. It's just lovely to go through and make sure that they're all having a nice time and stuff like that. Yeah. It's when you start kind of follow it, like hate following people and all that kind of weird, and that comes to the addiction. Well, there's people coming to my wedding in December that I've not seen for years, mm. but I never lost touch with them. Yeah. Because, well, I, you know, a very good friend of mine from medical school who lives out in Western Australia, and I've not, not seen her since 2006. Bloody hell. And she happens to be in Britain at the time of my wedding. Amazing. And she's going to come, and I wouldn't have been able to invite her if it wasn't for Facebook, because mm. we'd have lost, we'd have lost touch by now. Yeah. So it's, I think, you know, people need to be savvy. Yeah. Um, completely. I have friends with whom we discuss mental health things from time to time, and the most important thing that I find is that you're prepared to listen what the other person's saying. Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree with them. So of course you don't. This is your life and your choice of your life. But don't yeah. ignore them. Mm-hmm. Don't go, well, that conversation's done and dusted. Let's move on to something else. I think it's... I, and I say this with the caveat, of course, that so much depression is biochemical, and, uh, but a lot, of, uh, and a lot of depression is understandable. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, if someone's parent has died and someone's feeling bereft, I would never want to patronise them by going, this is your road to getting better. Because, of course, there is no necessary road to getting better. But there are a number of life anxieties and stresses, etc., etc., where you need to be a bit proactive about how you go about things. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, for instance, if you've been single for a long time and you're depressed about it, that there's any excuse for not being on a dating app or website. Mm. Because you can't, if you're not in the shop window... Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're the one person that's going to be most important in looking after your own mental health, yeah. and you're the one that needs to kick yourself up the ass. And it can be yeah. horrible and it can be difficult, but it doesn't but, I mean, happen. the gambling was interesting because I knew that nobody could help me other than myself. Yeah. And eventually I just got bored. Mm. Eventually I just thought, I'm, I'm on the telly. Um, uh, that helped as well. Yeah. Not, 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 you know, being on the telly helped in the sense that I didn't want to be recognised in bookmakers. Yeah, indeed. Um, but it was like, I, I've got more better things to be doing with my life than sitting in a bookmaker's trying to read the form of a dog race that I barely understand because it gives me an instant hit to put 20 quid on a horse and see whether it comes in or doesn't come in. Mm. It's that instant hit thing. I was never a long t- long t- I'd never bet on who's going to win the Football World Cup at the beginning of the World Cup. Yeah. I needed quick hits. Uh, it was that need for quick hits that was fueling, you know, the possibility of walking into a bookmaker's with twenty pounds in your pocket and walking out with a hundred was um, was driving me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got bored. Yeah. Were uh, you open at that time? Because you said earlier 
that you and your friends in all the different kind of um, aspects of your life were quite hope, open about their mental health. Were you open about this with your friends at the time? Yeah, well, I had well, to, you know, I had to be. It was a very big part of my life. Yeah. And no, nobody kind of knew what to do to help me. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And perhaps part of that reason maybe that I was downplaying it. Right. Maybe. I don't know. I, can't, I honestly can't remember mm -hmm. the degree to which I might have been downplaying it with my closest friends. Um, but there, there was support, but the support was not never much more than... Paul, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes your friends don't have answers. Mm. And I kind of knew that my, the only way I was ever going to stop was to do it myself. I don't think, honestly don't think that me going to Gamblers Anonymous would have been, made me any more aware or less aware of my problems. Yeah. I've never lacked awareness. Mm. Indeed. And um, obviously when you announced uh, on your Twitter that you uh, had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, the uh, comment section underneath was... It was a lovely kind of support um, and so many people out there. Have you found that you've got like that new support network on Twitter as well of people that yes. have said lovely things? Yes, and it's nice. Yeah. Um, and it's lovely. But I don't want people living their lives vicariously of course. through me. Yeah. I appreciate the support, but I'm getting on with my life. Yeah. And strangers being nice to me is always nice. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't necessarily need it. Yeah. I don't feel that it's a driving force that keeps me going. It's been very nice that people with Parkinson's have come, come out of the woodwork. Amazing, and, yeah. and every time I see anyone with Parkinson's who follows me, I follow them back. Mm. And the reason I follow them back is just for them to know that if they ever want to send me a message directly, yeah. I'm there. Uh, and vice versa, yeah. of course. And so that, that for me is, is a useful little network thing. Um, the Parkinson's... It was very interesting. I've been very open about what happened yeah. with the Parkinson's. I was diagnosed on May the 30th, and unknown to me, until I look back on it later, I broke down. I physically and emotionally broke down. I know this because I watched the Champions League final, Liverpool versus Spurs. Liverpool on my team. And I watched it, and I just couldn't get off the sofa when they scored their second goal. I just I sat slumped there. It's nice. Yeah. And that was a game that, that a, month, a month previously, Liverpool had won the second leg of the... Uh, Champions League against Barcelona, semi-final, and it was one of the most emotional games of my life. But I didn't know I had Parkinson's then. Um, and two days after I had Parkinson's, I'd spent the morning with my head in the MRI scan, missing the World Quizzing Championship, one of my three big quizzes of the year. Then the evening, in my sister's watching the football, and I was just nowhere. Mm. A few days later, I appeared on Celebrity Catchphrase, and my abiding memory of Celebrity Catchphrase is my brain wasn't functioning at all. I just couldn't do anything. No. Two weeks later, when I did the blog, I can't even begin to explain the degree to which everything lifted. It would be an exaggeration to say immediately. Yeah, of course. But that sense of right now, get on with your life, mm -hmm. that just hit me at that point where it's like, it's out there. Um, the idea that you have agency with how you live your life, I felt that I'd lost for that two weeks because I couldn't, apart from close friends and family, I couldn't tell anyone. People that work on the production of Celebrity Catchphrase, didn't know. Yeah. They had no idea that I was doing this having just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, I did, I mean, when I was on Taskmaster, I just didn't know I had Parkinson's. Yeah. And I watch it back and I go, you've got Parkinson's. <laughs> Can you not see? Your face is stiff. Your emotions are stiff. Mm. I, you know, it was only when I was watching it back that I thought, oh, yeah. It was, my neurologist said, oh, I saw you on, on Taskmaster. Pretty obvious. Really? Bloody yeah. hell. All this weird stuff was going on. Uh, in May... May May this year was the strangest month of my life. Yeah, of course. Because I was in New Zealand for 
having the greatest comedy time I've ever had, but increasingly aware that I had Parkinson's disease because my limp was getting worse, my mood was getting worse, my emotional fragility was getting worse. I knew what was going on, but I couldn't admit it to anyone because I had to maximise how much I enjoyed this comedy trip to New Zealand. I had, yeah. to, I had to put it absolutely at the back of my head and go, you're in New Zealand, you're selling out every night, this is the greatest comedy experience of your life, just enjoy it. Mm. And this sort of uh, dissonance in your head was a really stressful thing to deal yeah, with. of course. I mean, I must have got drunk at least 20 times out of 25 nights out in New Zealand because mm. that was my way of forgetting. Yeah, indeed. That was my way of forgetting that when I got home, I was going to be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. It was in my head, it was, an, it was a certainty. Mm. So I had all this going on in my life and the best thing that happened was that blog. Absolutely. My dad was upset going, why have you gone so public? And I had to explain to him that this is my way of introducing some control Absolutely into my that. life. And I think it doesn't matter what it is that's ailing you from a physical or mental point of view, the moment you introduce some sort of self-administration and control, it really, really helps. Yeah. Now, things will obviously change over the years. I'm not naive, but I'm really proud to say that this positivity that I've got, it's not fake. I'm enjoying life. Yeah. I don't get up and go, oh, I've got Parkinson's. I get up and go, what can I do with my day today? Uh, because the fact that I've got Parkinson's isn't going to go away, and me getting upset about it isn't going to help my health. What's going to help my health is having a positive outlook on it. So it's not just a way of coping, it's a way of helping. Yeah. Because the one thing I realised when I was diagnosed is that my mood is, my health is very dependent on my mood. And so I'm determined to keep my mood high. And not in a fake way, in that I think if you are upset, or if you are stressed out, then hiding those emotions is not a healthy way to go about it. But just in a sort of let's just get on with life. Yeah. I have not had any dark nights since June. I've not had any dark nights of the soul. I've not had any nights where I've been sat with my friends drinking and suddenly I'm morose and crying my eyes out and going, what's going to happen to me? I've not had any of that. I've had tiredness because of the medication and the, and the sleep. But I've had really, really, really high mood. Um, and that's what I want to keep up. Yeah. And I've done, you know... The friends have helped. The family dynamic has changed. So in the first two weeks, my mum and dad were a nightmare because they just didn't know what to do. Yeah. And ever since the diagnosis had been confirmed and everything's out there, we're just a family getting on with it. I talk about this in my show. that My dad is on his last legs because of, of cardiovascular disease. My mum had breast cancer in 2007. And neither of them two are the most unwell people in my family. The most unwell person in my family is my nephew, Leo, who's six years old and has severe autism uh, and therefore behaves badly 95% of the time. And the poor kid is by far the pivot around which the family unit rotates. Mm. And so I'm just another unwell member of the family. That's my status in the family. Yeah. And as a result, I'm loving it in the sense that we're all there for each other and no one's got priority over anyone else. Mm -hmm. We're just all hang hanging in there and supporting each other. You can't do this on your own. No. I used to be very much a soul traveller when it came to emotions and things changed. 2004, my best mate had severe depression after a breakup and the intensity with which I was there for him was a reflection of what can be done with friends for for each other. Yeah. And just to illustrate the point that there's no reason to be a soldier. And if it's not your friends or if you don't have friends, then seek professional help. Yep, definitely. I can't think of anything that's gone on in my life 
in the and there's been a hell of a lot since my adulthood that hasn't been improved by the input of friends. That's amazing. Um, um, we've got about five minutes left, so I'm just going to ask our last question, which is, if you could go back and give any advice to your younger self about um, mental health or living without misery in any guise, uh, what would you say? It's a really, really hard question. I'm that. sorry. No, no, no. The, the re- I'll tell you why it's a really hard question. Is So much of the great things in my life have come about because of disaster. Yeah. Some of the best friends that I have in the world... I only ever met because I failed my medical finals. Because I failed my medical finals, that first job never happened. I went to Kings Lynn in Norfolk and made some of the best friends in my life. If I had been a successful doctor and treated the horse with the reverence it deserved, I'd never been a stand-up comedian. If I had done the correct thing and not done science and done some sort of arts A-level and, you know, the job that I was most suited to was law... Mm -hmm. My entire life is a complete parallel universe where none of my friends that I have at the moment I'll have even have met. And so it's really hard to say what is the correct advice that you'd give to your younger self. But the one thing I feel with great passion is that gambling is pure evil. And the one thing where that I have a disaster in my life that didn't lead to anything positive was gambling. Mm. Uh, secondly, always think about future planning. We're not taught at school how to save money, yeah. how to uh, get stay in, in good credit, things like that. Make sensible decisions. You know, get advice. Use your parents to help you out. Mm-hmm. Get, get, you know, these people are wise. They've, they've made better life decisions than you'll ever dream of to get to the position they are. Use their help. Don't be scared to seek help. Because I, I was a financial disaster area because mm. I just didn't think about forward planning. So... Seeking the advice of elders is one. Number two, never developing any addictions of any description. It doesn't matter what the addiction is, it just gets in the way of real life. Indeed. And if you think you're enjoying your addiction, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're avoiding you're, something else. You're, you're a prisoner to it. And then the third thing is stay in touch with friends. Don't let them drift away. Um, that's a lot easier now now than it was when I was, course, when I was yeah. my age. But if you feel that you've made a valuable connection, an emotional connection, just don't lose them. Mm. Because then one day you'll wake up and go, why did I never, ever see him? He was great. Mm. I've got one like that. I've got a friend who I was in New York for a week with in 1998 called Dan. And I just don't know what he's... I know he's a radiologist somewhere, but I keep thinking to myself, come on, get off your ass, hunt him down, say hello. Because for a week in New York in 1998, he was your bezzy mate. Yeah. You did New York together in 1998. Try not to lose... I mean, there's a natural process in life where you lose touch with friends. I think it's really, really important to keep in touch. Another thing I'd say is just be aware that everybody is having problems. I fell out with a friend on Facebook two or three years ago. I'm back friends with him now. But in those three years I fell out with him, his life fell apart. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> and I just thought, God, what a stupid thing to fall out with someone that actually needed your, you yeah. know, needed your support and help. So just be aware of the world around you and the fact that you're not the only person who's got issues. And then the other thing to say is for all that you should keep in touch with friends, for all that you should use your friends as a support network, for all that you should seek advice from elders because they've lived lives as nuanced as your own life and made their own mistakes and got to where they All of this sometimes is just not enough. Yeah. And when it's just not enough, seek help. 
don't curl up into a ball, don't reject the outside world. There has never, ever, ever been more resources literally at the tip of your fingertips than there is now. The whole, you know, as I said before, the internet is the most extraordinary invention the human race has ever come up with. Get on there and find someone who can help you. Amazing. Beautiful. We hope you can take something from this podcast away with you in your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things do get better. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, If any of the themes brought up in today's episode have affected you, or you think you just need to talk to someone, uh, the Calm Helpline is free, anonymous, and open from five until midnight every single day of the year. Uh, Right, some quick thank yous. Thank you to Paul for being so honest and brilliant in this episode. Thank you to Dave and Calm for helping us make this podcast. And thank you for to you for supporting us, uh, for sharing on social media, and for generally being wonderful. If you could like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that jazz, that'd be wonderful. Uh, next week is Lauren's triumphant return to the podcast. Oh, these were dark days without Lauren. And uh, that's it. Until then, bye, 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 bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do, tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? 
What? I know what this one. <laughs> that, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell, and Dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising people. <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone, a Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel.